eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on. Fifth Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in another edition of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Hi, I'm Chris Mack from the Fan Morning Show on Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. And alongside to start the show every uh, a couple times every week, as he usually is, our friend Eric Tangrady, at ETangrady on Twitter, former Pittsburgh Penguin, Winnipeg Jet, Montreal Canadian, and illustrious hockey history. And actually, a question about that that won't get us started, but that I want to ask you as it relates to something the Penguins did this weekend, Eric. First of all, how are you? How was the weekend? Great. No, I'm good. Everything was good. It was a busy, busy weekend, but, you know, a lot of hockey on on tap and a lot of huge news that came out as well. So uh, what looked like it was going to be a quiet Sunday in, uh, in, in the house turned into mayhem in the hockey world. So that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. And we'll get into the moves that people are making as the deadline rapidly approaches. It's up over the horizon now and coming head on for us. Uh, but I wanted to start with what we got from the pens this weekend, which was an uneven performance, even in a win at St. Louis, but a win nonetheless, right? Uh, uneven, but a win. Uh, and then what was just a spectacular performance against the Lightning, a huge second period uh, that all started with Evgeny Malkin's breakaway goal coming out of the box. So when you look at this weekend uh, on the whole, Eric, is, is what you saw sort of the the heart transplant, the lung transplant the Penguins needed at this point the way they were playing? Or did they just simply maybe tourniquet this thing and tie off the wound and stop the bleeding? Where, where are we on the spectrum of the Penguins getting back to what we think they should be? Yeah, the, the optimist side of me says it was great to be able to consistently, in my opinion, put two performances together. Right. Uh, you know, that first period in St. Louis was that was dominating a team that is supposed to show up, supposed to dominate, supposed to win. Um, Obviously it was a little bit more hard fought than it probably should have been um, against St. Louis, but they got two points and that's most important. And then they come home and respond uh, the way they did about it from Tampa and build off of that confidence. Um, That's the consistency moving forward. And that's an encouraging sign. Now the, the pessimistic side of me is all I can think about is that game in St. Louis of, with here's a Stanley Cup winning goaltender in Jordan Bennington, who's probably had an off year. And still, that Stanley Cup championship pedigree keeps that team in the game way longer than they should have been in that hockey game. And then the flip side of last night is, 
all right, if Vasilevsky's in there, you know, is he doing that type of same momentum changing where the Pens are just dominating and dominating and he's making save after save till Tampa finds a way to get back in the hockey game? All I can get attached to is the goaltending in both of those situations for the visiting team. But yes, right. great back-to-back efforts, um, consistency. Let's see, you know, moving forward, I think that's exactly what that te- the team needs to do to win is contributions from all four lines equally um, being able to throw anybody over the board at any point and have success. So is this the kind of performance that I'll put you in Ron Hextall's shoes, which I've done several times over the last couple of weeks. Does this give you hope that exactly what Hextall has been saying for two months, which is I like my team on paper. They just need to perform up to expectations. Does this give you hope that that can happen down the stretch and into the playoffs and that that's enough and you can stand pat or are you still, if you're Hextall, working the phones, looking for something, anything to add to the mix in the bottom six? I think he has to be working the phones, but I, I think he's made it very clear that he's not going to do anything um, that is out of his comfort zone. And I'll be honest, I, throughout the last couple of weeks, all I've been like kind of saying with friends and, and people in the sports world is like, man, Tanner Janelle would be a huge addition to this hockey okay. team. But looking to the haul that they just paid, what Tampa just right. paid for him, I'm like, no way on earth can you give up a first, second prospect, fourth and fifth round pick for a bottom six um, sandpaper type player. So there I, I stand wrong. Like I was like, let's go after him. He's a perfect fit for Pittsburgh. But if that's the price, um, maybe I'll just admit that I'm wrong and take a step back. And, and, and that's maybe something that the management knows that we don't is the price premium for, for rentals or even guys for the future is way too high. Well, yeah, it's interesting to me because the the Timo Meyer deal, I, I would have expected that kind of haul for Meyer. Now, the the Devils didn't have to put up as much. Um, it was more of a, I guess, if you want to call it a hockey trade, a lot of players going back and forth in that deal. But what struck me as interesting was something Julian Breezebois said this morning, and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, so I apologize for that. Oh, hold on. I do have it. I just found it. Um this is exactly what he said, Breezebois, when he was asked about the haul that they had to give up in Tampa to get a guy who's got five goals this year, although he's coming off a 24-goal season last year. He said, at the end of the day, I know there's a perceived value of those picks, but we have a really good idea of what the actual value is. Individually, you go, what's that first-round pick worth or second-round pick and so forth and so on? We look at what it's worth to us based on the odds of those picks turning into good NHL players down the road. I'd rather have the good player right now for this season and next to help this group win now. The odds of that player necessarily turning into a good player, they're not great all the time. And none of the players we were going to draft with those picks is going to help us win this year or next. So Breezeball basically says it's kind of like the the Rams model of F those picks, right? In the (laughs) NFL, it's I got... Look, I've got an aging team of stars that I've been able to find just the right piece year after year. You know, Goodrow last year. You can go back year after year after year. The Lightning always add just the right guy, the just the right sandpaper grit guy like you're talking about with Janot. And he says, what the hell do I need those picks for now when I've got a team that I think can win the cup? Is that – or do we have too many GMs that are in what feels like the opposite camp of, no, I've got to protect my picks, or – is that more – do you think we're getting that from Ron Hextall maybe just because of the situation that the Penguins have been in where they've dealt so many first-round picks? 
Yeah, I think that's probably the 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 easy way is to just say I don't want to give up assets, the future, the prospects. But I mean, I love that quote. I mean, you you talk about a fan base who wants to believe in a GM, obviously as the sample size of what they've done in the past. But he's absolutely right. If you're looking at uh, a 25th to 32nd pick in the first round, uh, mm-hmm. and then you're looking at those exact picks in the second moving forward, like he's absolutely right. I mean, you probably have very similar odds to find a diamond in the rough in the fifth pan out than you would to have a guarantee at 27th overall. And I I think that's where we kind of sit in what our opinions are is like, if the Penguins are worried about the future and draft capital, like let's just sell and move forward and and go after that top 15, top 10 type pick. But if you're looking from 15 to 30, as he mentioned, they may have more information about this year's draft. Like, of course it may be, it, it seems to me a lot like Bedard or bust from the names I'm hearing in this draft, like the drop off from one to two is like astronomical. So for him, yeah. Like, you know, with that lineup, with the different types of players, he's going to be playing with the Tampa. He showed he can score 24. He may be a 30 goal guy and that to them has its own value. So that's kind of the mentality of where I don't feel like there's a middle ground. Like we talked about, like, just being a team that's made the playoffs for 17 straight seasons, like that's not good enough. Like it's either let's go or let's not. Well, and you know, you talk about diamonds in the rough. You look at two guys that have been cornerstones of the last couple of cups as they built around Crosby and Malkin and Latang. It was a 77th overall pick in Jake Gensel an 80th overall pick in Brian Rust. Those weren't first rounders. So there you go. That in and of itself kind of proves the point you're making. And I think the greater point that Breezeball was making is we overvalue these, these nameless, faceless picks at times. That being said, you said it's hard to find middle ground. Would Jacob Chikrin be that middle ground? Because, yes, it's an ad for now. It certainly is. He's a good young defenseman who you could instantly put on the top pairing with Chris Letang. At the same time, he's a guy who can play with Latang through the last few years of Latang's career and maybe become a cornerstone for you on that top pairing going forward. Is that the kind of move that, I guess, as best as you can at this point with what Hextall's got, split the difference, so to speak? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, it, again, it just becomes what's the return then. But mm-hmm. I think he would be an unbelievable addition because it's some youth, um, someone that can, you know, alongside Chris Letang, doesn't have to be the guy that just goes. He's that, you know, first pass, responsible, two-way, 200-foot defenseman. Right. Um, obviously, he would be an ideal situation. But, again, we looking at this market, it's just I, I would rather, I think, see them try to look for a couple more uh, rental-type type deals of guys that can – be inserted in the bottom six because realistically the guys that they've brought in in the past have had a hard time. I I don't know what it is with Sid and and Gino, unbelievable players, but they've had a very hard time of having these trade deadline guys just come in for half a season and get chemistry. You know, we're looking way, way back. But when you look at like the Aginla trade, um, Mm -hmm. some of the trades in in around those years when they would make that late deadline deal, like it just didn't seem like there was much chemistry and, and the value to get those rentals in the top six 
wasn't really as beneficial. I love the idea of finding a top four D and maybe a bottom six forward that you can pay more of a rental price versus a long-term vision uh, a player. It, it certainly doesn't make sense for the Penguins, but given the fact that we talked about the trade market as a whole, it seems like the only big shoe left to drop at this point, really big shoe, is Patrick Kane to the Rangers. Um, just what does that do for, in your opinion, Meyer to the Devils? Uh, we've seen the Hurricanes kind of play. They've been quiet, but who knows what happens for them between now and Friday afternoon. But Meyer to the Devils, Kane to the Rangers, you know, Horvat to the Islanders a few weeks ago. It feels like everybody in the Metro is gearing up unless you're really, I, I think the, the Panthers have kind of taken a step back. The Caps have understood where, they at, where they're at and they're sort of retooling on the fly. Did, should the Penguins be in there with the Devils and the Rangers of the world trying to improve themselves? Or should they, should they be there with the Caps? Should they be a, a, in a Caps mold at this point um, and, and understanding, hey, maybe it is time to sort of circle back around? I think so. I think it, they can still push and and be proud of the season they had if they squeeze into the playoffs with this team. But I think if there's pieces that you're going to get substantial returns for uh, as far as value, you have to consider those at this point. I mean, Boston has just greatly improved. Tampa's improved. Like you said, like the Rangers, the 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 Devils, like we're not talking like just a depth guy here. Like we're talking huge, huge trades to bring in guys that substantially make their hockey club better. Um, with already a foundation the built being like we're they're a top contender as it is. So, you know, I, I just don't like the mentality of like really feeling confident in this group. Obviously, you mm -hmm. have to say that with with your team, but if something were to come up where you can move an asset for a heavy haul, I, I'm all for uh, taking that mold and, and trying to move and push forward. Is is Patrick Kane enough to put the Rangers past the Bruins, in your opinion? I don't. I really don't. I, I just feel like – I don't think – and I think Patrick Kane, world-class player, I don't mm -hmm. know how he meshes in as the first time in his career – being looked at as like a supplemental player. I mean, he's a 20 minute plus a night guy. Can he take a step back and play 15 minutes? Yeah, sure. He's going to get all the touches on the first power play unit. Um, but I, I just don't know if that is the right move because of their lineup as it is right now. Like I, I watched him play last night. It was, it's incredible. I mean, they're, yeah. their top four defensemen are solid. Their top two lines. Now we're talking about somebody getting bumped down the lineup. Like Trocek's been amazing Pittsburgh kid. Um, now he probably comes off the top unit. You you really disrupt chemistry in a locker room when you try to bring in someone like that. How you really is there's no sample size on how he's going to mesh in a new environment because he's never been moved before. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. It, it, they do have a couple pieces here and there. Your 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 Criders and Goudreaux who maybe can you'd hate to take Crider off of one of the top two lines, but you know if you're looking for a guy who would sort of play the team first role and maybe except uh, a, a, a role on maybe a, a line with Lafreniere or whatever. But it, 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 it sure as hell makes them a whole hell of a lot deeper. I'll say that. And that's what you're going to need to compete with Boston, definitely, in the Eastern Conference. So I wanted to ask you a question because I think there are some interesting – there's some interesting uh, alignment between his story and yours somewhat. Certainly the expectations, I don't think, on you were as high as they were on Kasperi Kapanen when you each came into the league, granted about eight years apart. But I think it's interesting that he's at a point right now in his career, age and experience-wise, similar to when you were shipped off to Winnipeg, right? 
And the the expectations were probably on you, Eric, a little too high from Penguin fans when you came here. Not to say that we shouldn't have expected good hockey from you, but I think because of the deal you were involved in, people maybe expected more and were maybe a bit unfair in those expectations at times. And I'm curious if, in your opinion, Kasperi Kapanen could have done anything else or how could he have handled it? Now, granted, he, he spent time in Toronto too, and we all know how harsh the spotlight is in Toronto. And then a second tenure here with the Penguins. <sighs> Did he put maybe too much pressure on himself? Did he put too, not enough pressure on himself? And it, just talk about, I guess, how difficult it can be to live up to expectations, not just in Pittsburgh, but in Canadian cities where they live and die and eat and breathe hockey and just what it's like trying to live up to those and whether you sometimes put undue pressure and expectations on yourself as well. Yeah, that's exactly it. I just, you know, I just pulled up his stats from his career and his best, his best year as a pro was the last, the last year of his entry level contract. So when you talk about maturity as a player, um, you know, that's the first time he gets a, we'll call it a big boy contract extension. And then there's this pressure when you're on your entry level contract, it's, you know, money's not even in your mind because it's just already set in stone. This is the baseline of what you're supposed to make. Now you have some success. Now you start to make some NHL money and a lot of outside pressures come with that. Um, just the problem I think I saw with him as he's progressed is it just didn't seem like every year there was just improvement. You talk about Gensel, you talk about Rust, like those guys had successful seasons. And then the next year you're just like, wow, I didn't even think they had another level. Here's another level. Now they're right. contributing in the playoffs. Um, I, I would say the biggest flaw for, for Kapanen, and I don't know if it has a lot to do maybe with background of already you know family being established and mm -hmm. just being put on kind of a little bit of a stage before he like, you know he's actually made it was I just didn't see that work ethic coming into camp of like I still have something to prove it's like I got paid all right I'm good enough and that can catch up with you quick in, in the NHL right when you think you have it right when you think you've got it figured out you have a bad couple of weeks and it gets taken right from you so uh situation probably a little bit different um for me in the sense of I never had that type of success that he had, but when he had that success, like instead of trying to push forward, not, be, I just felt like a lot of people just saw him being content. Cause how do you go from a 21, 22 year old kid setting career highs to every single year to this point, having a, a drop off when you getting paid top $6 to play with top six players and some really, really good hockey teams. Yeah. I, I, I figured you'd have a, a really interesting perspective on that. And I think that's a great way to look at it is, when you hit big going into the second contract that that can that can affect people uh whether we we'd like to believe it wouldn't because we all tell ourselves well no i wouldn't be affected by that but it does it affects some people in different ways real quick before i let you run um i kind of broke it down in my head these next 3 weeks and each week is almost like an individual storyline for this team the penguins they're down south this week right nashville tampa the deadline and then a game uh, in South Florida against the Panthers. Next week, they come back. They got a homestand against Metro Division opponents, Jackets, Isles, Flyers. Following week, St. Patty's week, they've got three games against the Rangers sandwiched around one at home against the Canadiens. So I think it's safe to say, and I don't know how you would approach this from your perspective as a player, if there's any way you'd ever look that far out and ahead to things on the schedule, or if you just take it, you know, maybe two or three at a time. But in three weeks, I think we'll know exactly what this team is. 
and exactly what our expectation level should be for the postseason. Absolutely. I, I look at the same thing that you're looking at, and it, it almost tells me like March 19th is pretty much the day that yep. looks like we're going to figure out like where we are um, as the standings. And it's a shame it's too late to be buyer or seller, but that will mm-hmm. be this next stretch of games. And as a player, all you can do is look at look to the next game. You can't look that far ahead. But uh, as fans, as, as media members, I think that's the day where you're going to find out. And there'll be probably some hard questions for management, for coaching uh, of their decision making on that date of like where things are and where what things look like for the future. If nothing else, it was nice to see guys like Carter, Bluger, Dumoulin kind of get off the schneid against Tampa. Uh, for them, like you pointed out earlier, to win the second half of a back-to-back and look really good doing it. Now we see if they can start to kind of put, piece things together over the next two or three weeks leading up to that stretch of three games in a week against the Rangers. And like you said, by March 19th, I think that's that's a good delineation date. We'll know exactly what this team is. Uh, and hopefully they, they've done enough between now and then to where we'll feel just a little bit better. Because I do. I feel like this weekend was good, but nothing I'm, I'm planning the parade for yet. It was, hey, you beat a team that you should have beaten in St. Louis. Um, you kind of had to beat them ugly in the end, and you you did. You you piled on against Tampa, which is great, but that's just one. Show it to me a couple times now. Thanks for a couple minutes today, Eric. Appreciate it, man. We'll catch up again later in the week, okay? Looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks. It's a shame they can't move the trade deadline back this year, even farther. Move it back to like March 20th and uh, let the Penguins figure out exactly what they are. Then again, maybe we know what they are, and they've shown us. And this weekend against St. Louis and Tampa was more of mirage than what we got for the five or six weeks leading up. I don't know. Again, we'll find out over the next couple of weeks. Great stuff with Tango today. We'll catch up with him again later in the week. Uh, Jordan DeFigio on the way in a few moments. But first, we got to get a Nashville perspective because so much has happened down there in the last couple of days. Who better to talk to than former member of the Fan Morning Show, Former WTAE Channel 4 sportscaster, currently working down in Nashville, both on TV and radio. Our old friend JB, John Burton, joins me next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff.